We see crosses everywhere, on buildings, upon necklaces, and even in tattoos. But in the first century, the cross was a symbol of power, violence, and death. Decent people never spoke of the cross. This most gruesome death instrument had one purpose, terrifying and torturing Rome's adversaries. For its victims, the cross meant a slow and agonizing death. No one ever came back from the cross. So, what in the world compelled early Christians to embrace it as the most treasured symbol of love? The Bible itself clearly elevates the cross as its most central and core truth, the very power of God, and the only message Christians offer. But why? What is the point of the cross? What is up? Yeah, that... That question, what is the point of the cross? This is the question that we've been seeking to answer for the past five weeks. And we've gone through a number of things. We, we've looked at that Jesus is our victory. That at the cross, Jesus is our victory. That, that he is our justification. That he can make us right with God. And that he is our expiation. That he actually is able to remove sin from us. And that at the cross begins the point of sanctification. Where we walk with him and we become more and more like him every day. But, but all of these things can leave us asking some questions. Because we, we might be tempted to, to understand and see that like, hey, yeah, I get that, that Jesus had to become one of us. And that even he had to shed blood and die. But why did it have to be so terribly horrific? Why did it have to be so awful? And that's what we are going to jump into today, looking at the scriptures of, of the reasoning why the cross was as horrific as it was. I remember in 2009 when I was on the Ford surgical team in the army and I was deployed, we, we would get patients in for trauma surgery and we, we got this young boy, I'm guessing he was around 9 or 10 years old, an Iraqi boy, and he was in this explosion. And, and him and his sister, and his sister actually died um, from, from the explosion. And the explosion left him with the large majority of his body covered in burns. And if you know anything about the, these types of burns and, and covering, is that one of the main things that you'll die from in the weeks and days and weeks following is infection. And so each one of those burns has to be scrubbed and cleaned and taken care of and bandaged and then you have to replace the bandages in order to stop the infection and the bacteria from growing and ultimately killing them and I remember as my teen tried to have to had to explain to this young boy what we were going to have to do and the pain that he was going to have to go through for us to treat him and I remember seeing the terror in his eyes as he grasped to understand as we're talking to him through an interpreter what we were going to have to do and as we get the IV in him and him trying to pull away so that we could actually begin to sedate him and take care of him but I also remember a few months later him playing outside of our little tent hospital, kicking a soccer ball with a grin ear to ear because of what he actually had to walk through to get to that point. And he may not have been able to see the end road when we were trying to explain that, but we knew what had to happen. 
And something happens in the scriptures is sometimes we come across these difficult things. We come across difficult truths, hard things that we have to walk through. And we might be be tempted to just shut it and just say, no, I don't want to deal with this or let's skip over that part. But sometimes the greatest healing that we'll ever know is when we wade through and deal with the difficult things. And that's what we're going to do today. And I, I implore you just... Keep your mind, because we're not going to just stay stuck in wrath, because that's what we're talking about today. We're not going to just stay there, but we are going to move, and we are going to enjoy hope and healing, and that is our, our end road. And so as we begin, would you pray with me? Father, uh, I thank you that we can be here today looking at your word. I thank you that that even though your wrath against us as sinners is so great, in your forbearance you have passed over the sins previously committed so that we might live to hear the gospel and the good news. I pray today as we look at the greatness and the terribleness of your wrath in your righteousness, that we would understand how heavy and weighty the subject is, but that we would also see the hope that you have for us. God, I pray that I would not be afraid of what any person thinks about these, but that I would fear you and you alone and speak your truth from your word. And I pray, Spirit, that you would come and you would open the eyes and the ears of every soul here to see what is to be found in, in your word regarding God's wrath. Pray this in Jesus' name and his blood poured out for us on that cross. Amen. Yeah, we, we, we start this whole journey in the book of Romans. And the book of Romans, because the Romans is the outline of the gospel. The Holy Spirit preaching or speaking through the apostle Paul as he writes this for the first 10 chapters of this 16 chapter long book outlines the gospel more clearly than we see it anywhere else in scripture. And what he starts with is an indictment because this is where the gospel starts is with an indictment against humanity. And we see in chapter one of Romans, we see like Paul, like describing all those people of the world and we might sit back and we might be like oh yeah I see those people yeah those kinds of people and we sit back with our judgment and all of that and like oh yeah them is thinking that we are not among them but in chapter 2 verse 1 he flips that around he's like like who are you to judge and he pulls up the mirror and we start to see like no like this indictment is against us And it culminates in chapter 3 against every human that has ever walked this earth besides Jesus the Christ. And Paul starts to quote these Old Testament scriptures in Romans chapter 3 verse 10 and and says, There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who does good. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. Their feet are swift to shed blood and the poison of snakes is on their lips. And this is true of every single one of us. But, but back to where this indictment starts. After Paul says that he's not ashamed of the gospel, the very indictment starts with these words in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth 
in unrighteousness. And he starts here, I believe, because I think Paul and the Holy Spirit wants us to have in our minds that as we see our own sin, as we see what we've done, that we understand that the wrath of God is upon us. That this is the very first line, that the wrath of God is being revealed, that we would see wrath upon us as we read through the first section of the gospel of our own sin. And here's what wrath is. It is God's extreme and righteous anger against us for our sin. And this may not be an easy thing to get, but, but we understand anger, right? We, we understand when someone cuts us off on the freeway, we get angry. We, we understand when someone else isn't pulling their weight at work that, and we have to pick up all the slack that, that we get angry. We get angry when you answer the phone and it's another person from Microsoft trying to scam you and get on your computer. Like we get frustrated and angry with stuff, but this isn't wrath. This isn't that extreme extreme anger, and maybe it wells up in us more when, when you open up a book and you start reading on the accounts and the horrors of modern-day slavery, and you get to a chapter on the LRA, and you see that how they go through villages in Africa, and it's being described, and they go through, and they just slaughter people, and then they kidnap their kids and their first moment of indoctrination into the LRA is to be forced to kill their own parents. And when you hear those types of horrors, sometimes wrath boils up in us. And it starts to boil up in us on those things more because we understand that with the, the value of human life, the anger grows, right? Because this is not just someone cutting you off on the freeway. This is a terrible, terrible thing. And so the anger that wells up in us is more and greater when, when it has to do with, with something that is of higher value. And so many of us, we place human life as the ultimate value in everything. And it is a very, very high value. But the problem is, is it actually is not the ultimate valuable thing. The ultimate valuable thing is God and his glory. The ultimate, the thing that has more value than anything is the infinite God who has always been and always will be him and his glory. And the reason why humans even have as high a value as they do is because we were created in his image, that we were created to reflect his glory and reflect who he is. And so even like the value that is innate in every single soul that is in this room is because we reflect the glory of God and the ultimate value that's found in there. And what, what we find is, is that our sin is a defamation of God's glory. We have defamed something so holy, so good, so righteous, that it is the ultimate crime. And what we have done against God, and because of that, God is angry. And rightly so. He has wrath for us. But this isn't just an emotion that he just holds or whatever. He actually does something with it. The Bible continually shows us that he outpours his wrath. It's often described as a cup, the cup of his wrath being filled up and then poured out. It's, it's described in Ezekiel what he will do to sinners this way. Now the end is upon you, and I will send my anger against you. 
I will judge you according to your ways and bring all your abominations upon you. For my eye will have no pity on you, nor will I spare you. But I will bring your ways upon you, and your abominations will be among you. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, a disaster, unique disaster. Behold, it is coming. An end is coming. The end has come. It is awakened against you. Behold, it has come. Your doom has come to you. O inhabitant of the land, the time has come. The day is near. Tumult rather than joyful shouting on the mountains. Now I will shortly pour out my wrath on you and spend my anger against you. Judge you according to your ways and bring on you all your abominations. My eye will show no pity, nor will I spare. I will repay you according to your ways. While your abominations are in your midst, then you will know that I, the Lord, do the smiting. And that is, that is a hard piece of Scripture to take in. God talking about His wrath and His anger actually being poured out. And what we see is that this outpouring of wrath is God's righteous anger exercised in punishment for our sins. This is what the outpouring of wrath is. is that it's God's righteous anger actually exercised in punishment. And these things in Ezekiel are not just empty threats. These are not just empty threats that he says, but we see time and time and time again that he follows through and does these things. The whole Old Testament is littered with them. Go back to the days of Noah, Genesis chapter 6, and God's wrath is poured out on the earth through a flood, and he saves eight people through the water. Go to the Israelites trapped in Egypt for 400 years, and at their escape with the plagues and all the plagues of on them, like culminating in the final one, which is the death of the firstborn son of each of them. This is God's wrath against the Egyptians. God's wrath against the Egyptians shown again when their armies are drowned in the Red Sea. The wrath against the Israelites as they constantly defy their God. They were the chosen people. They were made to glorify Him and they constantly defy Him. And so He causes the ground to swallow, uh, open up and swallow thousands of them. Or when He sent venomous snakes in His wrath to bite them and thousands of them were dying over and over and over again. And like we're just in the book of Numbers. We still got like 1,500 years to go. Like there's just more wrath as we move through the entire Old Testament and we see how great and terrible God's wrath is. But it doesn't just stop at the end of the Old Testament. It's not like all of a sudden, like gnarly, wrathful God become, became like cute and fuzzy God when we hit the New Testament because Jesus himself, God come down and made incarnate spoke of hell and wrath more than anybody else. And he described hell, eternal torment, as a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. A place where the worm never dies and the fire never goes out. In Revelation, it's, it's described as this, this place, this abyss, this lake of fire that was created for Satan and his angels. And the beast and the false prophet are also thrown there and the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever. And Satan is not ruling in hell, but he is undergoing the full wrath of God for deceiving the nations. And we who have gone after Satan are destined for this hell forever. And God's wrath will be upon us into eternity. 
But, but his wrath is not just this like flippant thing or it's not just this unself-controlled thing, whatever. Like it is perfectly measured out for us. It's not like my wrath. It's not like my anger when, when like my, my kids like, make me impatient and I struggle and they, they're doing things that I told them not to do or whatever and I get impatient and then I lose self-control and I like burst out and yell at them and then I have to go back to them and ask them for forgiveness and, and, and tell them I'm sorry and that I shouldn't do that and work on like keeping my cool with them. That's not what our God is like. There's no lack of self-control in Him. And every bit of the wrath that is coming to us is completely and perfectly measured out. Go through the entire book of Jeremiah and you will see over and over and over again that his wrath is according to our deeds. Jesus even said that, that that what we will be repaid with is according to our deeds. This wrath is measured out. And so we sit and we look at the terror of God's wrath. And we look at the difficulties because this brings pain, it brings questions, it brings things that, that we're, we don't know how to deal with and manage. And we need to see the hope that God has for us because God is love. Just because he's wrathful doesn't mean he's not loving. It's actually precisely as we see how great and terrible his wrath is that we see the wonders of what he did in love for us on that cross. So we go back to Romans. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21, there's a shift. There's a shift from the indictment and a shift towards the hope that's going to come. But we're going to pick it up in verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. Check out those bolded words that it, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood. This is where we come to and this is why we've been walking through the wrath of God because propitiation has to do with wrath. And if you're sitting here and you're wondering like, I've never seen that word or maybe I've seen it before. I have no idea what that word even means. You're probably in good company because there's probably a lot of people around you that don't know what that word means. And even a lot of Christians who have been walking with Jesus and reading their Bibles for a long time may not even come across the word because so many translations translate this as sacrifice of atonement but, but propitiation I think gets better at the heart of it because here's here's what happens with propitiation is propitiation deals with the wrath of God it deals with it fully Here, here's the doctrine of propitiation God's wrath against those who are in Christ was fully satisfied when it was poured out on Jesus on the cross. Let me say that again. God's wrath against those who are in Christ was fully satisfied when it was poured out on Jesus on the cross. When we read Romans 3 and we see that Jesus was displayed publicly as a propitiation, He is absorbing the wrath that we deserve. 
the wrath that I deserve for defaming God's glory, the innocent and perfect Christ who became one of us. He was made in the likeness of sinful flesh, but never sinned, even though he was tempted as yet we are. All of that, he went to that cross and he absorbed every last drop of the cup of God's wrath all the way down to the dregs. It's gone. And what we need to see in the doctrine of propitiation as, as questions arise in our minds, maybe, is these four truths. These four truths. And the number one is that the father is not an abusive dad subjecting an unwilling son to his wrath. God the father is not an abusive dad subjecting an unwilling Jesus to his wrath. This was the plan. Our God is triune, one monotheistic God. God the father, God the son, God the Holy Spirit. All one God but distinct in persons. Wrap your brain around that. It'll explode. Like I've been trying to do it for like 20 years now and I don't get it. But like one God and they were in agreement about this. And not only that, but in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, we we see that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising his shame. The shame. For the joy set before him. And that's why when Jesus was on this earth, and he knew when he went to Jerusalem, that he would be killed on that horrific cross, and he set his face there, and he was determined to go so that he could save his people. This is not God the Father subjecting an unwilling Jesus to the cross. But this was to be able to maintain His righteousness and glory while saving us sinners who didn't deserve it. Number two, God's wrath was fully satisfied at the cross, never to be rekindled. We may start to question like, okay, I get that his wrath was absorbed, but, but sometimes I still feel like God is angry at me, that he's still mad at me, or I screwed up again, and, and I go to him, and I think he's going to be angry at me when, when I ask for his forgiveness, but that is not true. If you are in Christ, God has zero anger for you, zero wrath. It was all swallowed up. Every single sin that you've ever done or ever will do if you are in Christ was taken by Jesus on that cross. Every last bit that was measured out from you from your birth to your dying day every sin was in that cup and jesus took it all if you were in christ check out second corinthians 5 21 it says he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of god in him jesus took in his flesh our sin And then look what he does with it in Colossians 2.14. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. That there's a certificate of debt against us, and it's not just this little piece of paper that was written down that was nailed to that cross, but Jesus took that sin. He took that debt, the debt of wrath to be paid. He took it in his own body and absorbed it on that cross for us. It was nailed not just through a piece of paper, but through his own hands. Jesus dealt with the wrath of God fully on that cross so that we might be saved. And this word that, that Christians use, we, we talk about salvation. Oh, you need to get saved. 
And sometimes it, it can lose its meaning and its depth. Because saved means we, we are in mortal danger. Mortal, eternal danger of the wrath of God. And we need to be saved. We see what happens in Romans 5, 8, and 9. But God demonstrates His own love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of of God through him, fully saved, completely saved, not saved partially and you still have to undergo some of the wrath or anything like that. That is not true. There is no wrath for you left if you are in Jesus. Absolutely none. It's all gone. Jesus drank it all. There's none left for you ever again. Point number three. Truth number three, salvation is not primarily about escaping wrath. It's about receiving abundant and eternal joy. Man, we walk through this stuff about wrath so that we can understand what Jesus did for us. And as we see our sin lower and lower and more disgusting where it actually ought to be, where we actually ought to see it, the the more like gross that we see our sin against his glory the more we appreciate the way that Jesus absorbed the wrath of God but this is not the end all be all of what it means to to be saved to be saved is not just this you're not just saved from something you are saved for something this is actually a small part a crucial part a, a critical part of the gospel but it is a small part compared to the great and wondrous things that God has for us check this out in Ephesians chapter 2 among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest if you are in Christ this was true of you And no longer, but this now is. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that that we can be saved by faith and not by any work that we can do, not by cleaning ourselves up, not by becoming good or anything like that because we can't and not by absorbing God's wrath ourselves because we can't because we have sinned against an eternal God and the punishment for that is eternal. But the eternal God, Jesus Christ, the Son came down and bore it for us, right? And so what he says us for is something so much greater that, that we look at wrath and we see what we escape from, but what he saves us for so that we would stand on judgment day and then he would look at us and he would see Jesus and he would say, welcome my good and faithful servant. And we would enter into eternal joy. 
that we would enter into joy because this is what the gospel is all about. It's about being with Jesus. This is what we were made for. This is what we were designed for. And until we live and experience and understand walking with God, we have no idea what real joy is. We try and fill it up with all the joys of this world. And they're so small and fleeting copies. Fake copies. But joy, real joy, is at his right hand. Like it says in Psalm 16, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And in your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. We get to be with God. We get to reside with Him for all of eternity. And He will be our God. And we will be His people. This is what salvation is about. We look at wrath because we see the great work that Jesus did upon us. For us. Upon that cross. And we look forward to hope. And we actually get to experience a lot of it right now. As we walk with Jesus and we taste some of the joys that he has for us. But then we'll know it fully. Then we'll experience it in absolute full. But there's one last truth that we need to look at. Number four. Propitiation is only for those who are in Christ. I need you to hear this. Propitiation is only for those who are in Christ. Jesus himself in John chapter 3 said this, The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who does not obey the Son will not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. The wrath of God remains on him. And I need you to understand this because if you are sitting here right now and you do not have faith unto salvation, the wrath of God remains on you. The wrath of God remains on you if you do not have faith unto salvation. And I tremble at this and it makes me fearful and scared for you because I do not want you to hear this. I do not want you to hear about the depths of the wrath of God and what it's going to be like and imagine how terrible it would be and hear about the gospel that here today is being offered to you that you have to do nothing except for believe in Jesus and the work that he did on that cross and go out of this place not believing and get in a car wreck and die and have to see God face to face and deal and give an account for what you've done and pay according to your deeds. I fear for you and I plead with you, would you consider Jesus? Look at what is on the line. God's wrath is coming upon you. His wrath, that is the scariest thing in all of the universe. And it is upon you if your faith is not in Jesus today. And if you don't get in a wreck and you spend the next 50 years in your life enjoying your life and living it up, it will still be just as terrible on that last day. It will still be just as terrible. But here's the beauty and the wonder of the gospel is that here today, Jesus offers you not just a way out of that, but he offers you eternal joy. A joy like you've never experienced a beautiful and wonderful 
joy he offers to you. Would you place your faith in Jesus today and know salvation from his wrath? And as we close here, I wrote, I wrote some things. I trembled as I did it because I, I wanted to write them in the first person. The, the first person from God. And I, I, don't, I don't claim to be writing for God, but, but I believe every single truth that you will find in each one of these is found in Scripture. And, and so I think I can confidently read these, but, but I want you to hear them. That if you are in Christ, these are true of you. And if you would place your faith in Jesus today, if you don't know Him, that these could be true of you. From the Father. I'm not angry at you. I'll never be angry with you. Every bit of anger that was towards you, I already poured out on my son Jesus. I have absolutely none left for you. It's all gone. I am the king of everything, and I'm also your dad. And I love you. Rest here with me. And from God the Son, those accusations against you, every last one of them that's thrown towards you, I took them. I took them upon myself. I bore them in my flesh, and they were destroyed as the Father's wrath was poured out on me. Because of what I suffered, I will bring you into glory, and you will inherit eternal life and joy alongside of me. From the Spirit, Jesus called me the Comforter. And that's what I'm here to do. All the pain, all the troubles, all the trials and tragedies, I'm going to be with you through every single one of them. I have a peace for you beyond comprehension. And as I reside with you, know that your internal inheritance is secure. No one can ever take it away. Find comfort here and now. Father, your wrath is great. It is terrible. And no matter how many times we think we don't deserve it, we really do. And we don't understand fully what it would be like to incur the full cup of your wrath poured out on us forever. But I pray that as we look at this, that we would turn to you and that we would see the great and glorious wonders of what Jesus did on that cross that he absorbed your wrath fully like no one ever ever could. That he did it once for all time so that we might be saved from your wrath and enter into eternal joy. God, I pray that every soul in this room would understand that. I pray that you would open eyes and ears today. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and that you would convict those who don't know you of their sin, Jesus' righteousness, and the judgment to come, and that they would turn and be saved. And that there will be a party in heaven. I pray that you would do these things in the name of Jesus and his blood poured out for us on that cross. Amen.